Well, it's lovely to be here, and it's uh, so appropriate that it's the working bee day because I get to wear my big boots and uh, my old work jeans, and I've got my sun hat. It does look deceptively like a Bunnings sun hat, but I can't stand being an advertiser, and so I asked Marion to put this around this little trim. So uh, I am sun conscious, and uh, I'll be working using that later. Um, the content is around uh, sowers and growing stuff, but the real point of this passage is around understanding, hearing and understanding. That's really what he's getting at. And it's a fairly, um, uh, it's a bitsy sort of chapter, or this little middle section of the, of the chapter. And I always, um, I always love that sort of stuff, because you get to ask the question, what is it there for? You know, like, why are these little, little parables, these little stories popping in? And when you actually sit back and spend a little time, uh, you notice that there's some, some fairly profound things being said, and the same point is being made through most of this chapter. Um, those of you who are very carefully uh, following our series, a while back Dave preached on the parable of the sowers. I'm going to touch on that a little bit. That's the, the early part of Mark 4. And the end of Mark 4 is where he, uh, he calms the storm, and then chapter 5 he goes and heals the demoniac guy. So we're kind of coming back into this little section in the middle. But it, it is great to have a look. Now, what I want to do is show you the next slide here. And this gives the, um, the breakdown of um, Mark 4, 1 to 34. The, the bit I've left off is the, um, you know, it's quite a different section where he goes and he does healing of the, uh, the storm. So what I've done is I've broken it up. The bits in blue are what is said to or about the crowd and the bits in red are what he says to his disciples, the 12. They're called the 12 in one point and the disciples in, the, in another. So the first little part, he tells the parable of the sower and the seed. You know, that's where the guy goes, throws it out, goes into four different soils. Some's bad, 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 and good. And then he says to the crowd, if you have ears to hear, then hear. Anyone who's got ears to hear, if you can actually hear this, hear it. That's the first clue that he actually expects us to spend some effort to understand what's going on. Then he says to the, the 12, he explains to the 12 about the crowd's hearing but not understanding. See, that's their problem. They're, they're hearing, but they're not hearing. They're hearing, but they're not understanding. And this whole section is to get us to be the kind of people who hear and make the effort to understand. Because it is possible to understand Jesus. The point is they were hearing without understanding. So he explains that, and he refers back to a passage in Isaiah, a kind of a prophetic re-application re, um, of the concept in the days of Isaiah. And he says, that's what these people are like. They're hearing stuff. It's just not sinking in. And the responsibility is down to them. And then he tells the parable of the sower and the seeds explained. So he re-goes through the same parable, but he actually tells them. So notice it's in red. He does that for the 12. He, he makes it quite clear what the thing is about. And then he says the last part of that is, it's about hearing the word, as if it's not kind of strong enough. He, he makes it very clear, this is about hearing the word. And then he, he uh, says more to the crowds. The parable of the lamp on a stand, and we're going to look at that specifically. And then he says, if you've got ears to hear, let, let them hear. And then he says, consider what you hear. It is, it, you're getting the theme here, right? There's stuff that's being said. You're hearing, are you really hearing? Are you understanding? And then he tells the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. And then he says to the crowds, there are many parables. Mark explains. He told lots of parables to the crowd. And then Mark says, but he explained them to the disciples. So the whole point of this section is, 
what is said publicly, what is understood privately, about what you hear and about what you understand. And it's a challenge to us to be people who bother. That's really what it's about. And uh, along the way, he pulls out some fascinating things about what the kingdom is about. And he rotates around these different themes of, of hearing and understanding and what God does and what we do. It's not a linear thing. This is one of the things we've got to be very careful. He doesn't sort of make a point and then say, okay, now you got that, I'll build on the next one. And then I'll build on the next. It's kind of more, I'm saying this, but don't forget this other point. Oh, and if I've said that, I'm going to tell you about this thing over here. And that's the sort of way he's working. And what it does is it um, challenges us, I think, us modern thinkers, modern kind of people, because we like it all very clear, very spelt out. And yet this is an invitation to be reflective people. Uh, the introverts reflect on your own. The extroverts chat about it. Okay, that's my clue. So some people you see in this world will hear stuff, and yet they won't understand. Some people hear, and they are changed. And what a thrill that is, when you actually see lives that are changed. I reckon we could go around here, and many of you would have that story. Yeah, my life's changed because of Christ. I've heard what he said. I'm now a follower. I'm a disciple. And that's a great thing to hear and to be reminded of again and again. And the, uh, the parables here are about growth and change. And they're a very exciting, a very energizing thing. I love these sorts of stories where you, you get a glimpse that, yeah, there's a spiritual dimension to this world that makes possible stuff that otherwise is not possible. There's a hopefulness built into these sorts of passages. Well, let me do a little recap of the first section. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but the parable of the sower and the seeds, because it's a kind of a foundational parable for understanding everything Jesus says, really, because he's, he's going about his ministry and he's throwing the seeds of the word out. And then there's three disasters, three heartaches, I think is what it is, and one thrill, one really great thing that happens. And um, applying it not immediately to Jesus' ministry, but then to us and our friends, and this is a real sanity saver. You know some things you, uh, you can work out in your life that really help you get through? And we all have different little things that made a difference to us. Oh, well, when I finally understood the way interest works in the bank, you know, then I understood what I should and shouldn't do. Oh, well, when I finally worked out how to fix the car, then, you know, oh, it needs oil. It need Actually, I've got to put petrol in it. Reminds me of a tragic little story when I first bought this great new car. It wasn't that great, but, you know, it was a new car for me. And um, it, it didn't have a um, functioning petrol gauge. And so it took a long time for me to really realise that I should, when it gets to about quarter, I ought to do something about it. I ought to work out how much petrol is probably in it and then fill it up. It wasn't very impressive to Marion's dad. We were dating at the time. I ran out of petrol again, sir. <laughs> you know, things, you work things out. Well, this is the kind of passage that you work things out about really spiritually deep stuff. Hearing the word of Jesus, making a difference in your life, believing it, makes you in that fourth category, the soil, that is the good soil. Well, there is much heartache in ministry, and uh, it takes a while for us to work it out. And um, the three heartaches, I, I, I was just reflecting in preparing this. I remember years ago, I was in a um, particular church ministry, and there was this young couple, and I used to marry couples, you know, kind of every couple of weekends, there'd be another couple who'd come and get married. And we'd do preparation and, and many of them, it was just kind of a formality thing. And, and we, we would pray and we would hope there would be some sort of impact. Uh, but there's this one couple, um, young man, and his dad had recently died. And so he came grieving and he came serious about life. 
And uh, his, his uh, bride-to-be, the two of them, they, they, they spent time and they really kind of connected in with the church. And it was a very um, heartening thing. I, you know, at the time, I thought, they, I'm not sure they've quite got it yet. I'm not sure they've quite got it, but they're coming along and they regularly come to church. And um, they got married and they kept coming along to church and then he got his inheritance. Hardly saw him after that. And there's that little phrase that Jesus uses in that parable where he talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. And that's one of the soils, you see. That's one of the heartaches in ministry. You think, oh, what could have been for this young man, for this, for this young couple starting out of their life? Wouldn't it have been great for them to have had Christ in the centre of it? And yet the seed was sown. The seed was sown again and again. And then the heartache to see that they did not live with that. I don't know what's happened. That's years ago. Who knows what the Lord has done in their life since then. But we need these kind of reminders to what spiritual realities are. Because it's very easy for us to, to get a wrong perspective about what we're doing and who we are and who actually does the work. And we, it, it makes us better at praying. Because we think about what God is going to do in a person's life. And I uh, hope you are someone who longs for your friends. And I hope you are sometimes open to that heartache because it's because you've loved and you've cared and you've tried. I hope you do suffer the heartache because of a simple signal that you have worked at it. But I hope also you get the next bit, the fourth soil, you know, the good soil, is is the work of God actually goes on in people's hearts. And and it amazes us sometimes. How did that happen? You You know, I said something about Jesus and how did that happen? It actually changed their life. I was thrilled the other day to hear this story from another church, another place, um, where this guy, uh, absolutely dysfunctional kind of life, drug addict and all sorts of issues, but comes into the church, gets converted and really converted, really changed. You know, after a few months, he actually gave up his using ice all the time. You know, that's, that's a real thing. And for months and months had been clean. And the difference then in his life and the people around him, he started doing evangelism and working in, in his area in evangelism. And he started then to be able to rebuild the relationship with his daughter he hadn't seen for several years. She was then 18 by this stage. And you just think the blessing that could come from a person whose life is so changed. And who knows how this will actually play out. But the last little part of the, the story was that the, the daughter was seeing the difference in dad. The dad she hadn't seen for, I think, six, seven years. And, and if that's what God has done, if that's what Jesus has done for my dad, I'd better find out more about it. That was the way it works. Isn't that incredible? When the, the, the spirit, when the word has come in and the spirit has transformed a person's life, the blessing that flows to other people, that's the thrill of that fourth soil. When we hear the word of God and we understand it and it makes a difference in us, the blessing that can flow to other people. Well, it's a thrill when we experience that in ministry. And what a joy it is. You get a sense with Jesus in his ministry, don't you? The, the excitement that's there when people are changed. And, uh, you know, don't tell people he goes, but you can just feel the kind of electric reality of what's happened when a complete life has changed. And, of course, at the end of this section, uh, chapter 5, is that demoniac that we heard so powerfully the other week. The transformation of a, a whole life from the tombs to calm and quiet and speaking the word of God himself. It's amazing. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's the sort of... Um, foundational concept that we want to work with. It's about hearing and it's about the transformation that God does. And having that in our understanding, we can then look at the next few verses. So we'll grab your little book and verse 21, chapter 4, verse 21. He said to them, 
do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Well, no, of course not. Lamps, you want to shine. Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Answer, yes, yes, of course we do. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, one of the things we need to do is we need to realise that Mark 4 is not Matthew 5. Come on, stick with me on this. Okay, bring up the next slide, if you will. This is what he says in Mark 4. Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, you put it on a stand. Yep, of course. Okay, jump down. Matthew 5, we're much more familiar with this. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a different story. Similar metaphor, but a different point. This is what I'm trying to get at here. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in its house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's a verse clearly to Christian people, to the people in the crowds. Be, be that light. That's not what's going on in Mark 4. Mark 4 is about a different thing. Same metaphor, but a different point. Now, if you were to follow me around, uh, not only would you notice a fairly dull life, but you would notice in all the places I speak, I keep repeating myself, but I make different points. Oh, sometimes I say the same stuff. See, one of the great things about being peripatetic, that is, wandering about the place and being a teacher, one of the great things about being itinerant, that is, a mover-abouter, like I am, you know, I travel around different parts of the city, different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and speak on stuff. You get to use the same stories again and again. In fact, I've, I, I used a new one today. That amazed me right there. That's a new story. I'm going to use that again. But, you know, I might make a different point with the same story. That's what you see in Jesus' ministry. And so he's got this lamp and putting it under a bowl, but he's making a different point. It's actually in Mark 4, what we're looking at is all about his ministry. And there's even this funny little linguistic thing. Um, it's translated, and it'd be hard to translate it differently, but do you bring in a lamp? That's actually not what it says. It says, does a lamp come in? Does a lamp come in? It's like the lamp is in charge of itself and where it shines. It's actually about Jesus. He's the lamp. He's the light. He's the one shining. That's what this whole passage is about. He's the sower, sowing the seed. He's the lamp, bringing in the light. Well, what he does is he shines out his light. And that's the point of what we've been reading. He will shine out his light again and again with his words and his actions, with the amazing things he does, the, the signs and wonders that point to who he is, as he teaches about who God is, as he calls people to that faith, to, to be in the kingdom. That's him. He is the lamp. Does a lamp come in? Does a lamp bring itself in? Here is Jesus. So it's worth us just noting the principle that uh, one story in one part might not be, so it might be, but might not be, or might have a different nuance. Here I think it's quite a different point. The hidden and disclosed idea is what we're getting at. This is one of the little themes you see. You know, I said there's lots of different things being made here. The hidden and disclosed themes. And then some that, that as he speaks, some get it and some don't. This is part of Jesus' ministry. Um, you might go, so what's going on here? Well, actually, the point is that we ought to meditate upon this. As I said earlier, the introverts spend some time, write journaling and stuff. The extroverts chat about it, sit down, put the verse down on the table and, you know, have a, have a cup of tea and talk about it for an hour and just keep coming back to the same topic. That's how extroverts will process. That's a good idea. But see, he wants us, if we've got ears to hear, hear. This is the word to us. 
Are you going to be the hearer? Are you just going to kind of skim over it? Are you going to be like that crowd, those people in the crowd? Just skim over it. You know, if, it, if it's not kind of pre-digested, we can't cope with it too much. No, no, no. We've got to be the people who spend the time, chew it over, think it through. What does it mean for me today? What does it mean for me tomorrow? What will it mean for me in the next stage of my life? What does it mean for my friend? How should I pray for my friend because of this thing? Spend time. Spend time. And the more you do that, the more you'll enjoy the word because you'll see new things again and again. The next little verse, uh, 24, it just reinforces how significant this is. He says, consider carefully what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear. We're not very good at that, are we? Considering carefully what we hear. There's so much information. There is so, you know, how many websites do you read information from? How many, how many things do you hear that come into you all the time? And Jesus is saying, there's a point of life, you know, there's a spiritual dimension here that is so important. Consider carefully, he says. And notice how it's amplified, this thing. Because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you actually take time with the word of God, you'll get a stack back. If you flit over it, you'll get nothing back. And it's even worse. Look at the next bit. It'll be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. You, you skim over the word of God, you'll get nothing. In fact, it'll be worse. It'll, it'll become a thing you become pompous about or pretend you know or, or you just dismiss and it'll drive you deeper into a darkness, a spiritual darkness. What a disaster that is. The person who knows lots of the word of God but believes none of it. It's taken away from them. And yet if you spend time with it, if you actually work it into your life, if you hear and understand, you'll get more and more and more. That's a thrill. That's a lovely thing when God works like that in our lives. So the question to us is, how hard are we trying? It's not about the sound bites. Jesus is not the expert communicator in modern day times who knows he's got five seconds and he'll make it all really clear. And he'll say the same thing and he'll tell all his ministers to say the same thing day after day as well. You know, that's, that's what happens in the political parties. You, you hear they say all the same thing because somebody said, just make it really dumb obvious or else the, the punters out there won't get it. That's not how Jesus does. He tells these amazing little tales that you, ha- you cannot quickly understand and you've got to spend time on it. He's not interested in just throwing the thing out there and, and letting you quickly grab. No, no, he wants you to actually engage with God. Make it a conversation. One of the frustrations about, uh, this is a little travel tip, one of the frustrations about eating in Italy, I holidayed there with Marion a few years ago. Um, so you're walking around, you know, this beautiful little town, Siena, all right? And um, I have a shirt from Siena. I love that. It's wearing out. That's sad. Better go back to Italy. One of the sad things about it is you'd be going through this town, and you know you've got just like four hours, right? You've got four hours, and you really want to do Siena, right? And that's fantastic. So you think, right, and we're exhausted. So we've been walking up a hill, up the hill, and down the hill. And let's just sit down, and we can get, we can get lunch in 45 minutes. Surely we can get a nice lunch in 45 minutes. No, do not even try that in Italy. Because in Italy, they expect you to have eight courses for lunch. 
right? And you cannot say, I'll have a salad plus meat. No, 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 salad is one course and meat is another. And in between, you've got three or four others as well. You've got to have pasta and you've got to have breads and you've got to have this and that. I'm even talking like an Italian, you can tell. <laughs> it is so frustrating because we like fast food. We like our time frame. We like it to fit with what we're doing. And that is not the point here. It's the complete opposite of that. Chew it over. Take time with it. Spend time in the Word of God. I'll give you a practical suggestion. It's just what I said earlier. If you're an extrovert, chat to friends about this stuff. Hang out with them. Sit the verse down in front of you. Spend a week. Spend two weeks. Keep coming back to the topic. What might that mean for now? Take time over it. You'll discover new things. And in the fellowship of your friends, you will. If you're an introvert, spend the time journaling. You know, race it around in your head. Maybe read a commentary or something. Reading commentary is a good idea anyway. But, but try and process the word of God in a way that is not skimming over, that is not fast food mentality. We live in the Blue Mountains, most of us, don't we? See, Blue Mountains is slow food country. You know, I love that. The fact that there's a McDonald's in Blackstone and another one who knows where in Lithgow or somewhere. Isn't that fantastic? Slow food. We've got to have slow food. That ought to be a little guide to us as to how we process the word of God. Well, there are two parables more. Let me quickly um, just point you to them because it reinforces the same points. And it's about personal growth and international growth of the faith. The first one is, uh, in the ministry of Jesus, you ought to expect growth in people's lives. Verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Um, remember the verses he was just talking about? He's the sower. He's doing that same thing. This is focusing on the good soil. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. I don't know if you've ever grown corn. I have. It's really exciting. Because what, you know what happens? You don't even know what's going on. You get up, you get it, and then all of a sudden you look and go, wow, look, there's a stalk. And then the next day you go, oh, there's an ear. And then a little bit, there's the full grain in the ear. It always takes a little longer than you hope because that's just a personality thing. But that's actually what happens. Isn't it amazing? Look at that. I've got that little seed and I put it in that soil and it happens. Well, you know, that's the work of God, isn't it? God does that stuff. God is the generative one. God is the one that creates things out of everything, out of nothing to begin and then out of everything that he's created. What a wonderful reality to stop and think. God works in people's hearts to make them different, to make us different, to change them. It's a beautiful concept. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. It's a, it's a picture of Jesus bringing in the harvest, bringing in the person of faith to himself. And you see that through his ministry again and again, people coming. You know, one of the amazing things, when you look at the numbers of the early book, of, um, first couple of chapters of Acts, within a few weeks, I think it's three weeks, there's 10,000 believers. Bam! How did that happen? Well, they'd all been listening to Jesus for the last three years, you know, here, there, and everywhere. And as soon as the, the, the apostles start calling them to faith, they believe. The Spirit has done his work in their lives. And, and even many of the priests were told at one time, why was that? Well, Jesus hung out in the temple so much, did so much teaching in the temple. The priests are overhearing. Whoa! 
God's at work in their hearts. You hardly even realize it's going on at the time in the Gospels. Then you hit the book of Acts, first few chapters, bam, thousands believe. Well, that's exactly what's uh, being told here. And then the parable of the mustard seed is a beautiful one because it goes from the, uh, the, the individual, the, the local, to the international and picks up a metaphor from the Old Testament, which is of the, this great spreading tree, which is of an empire being built. And it says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. That's parabolically, you know, that's, that's, I'm sure you could find a smaller seed than a mustard seed, but they're really tiny. That's the point, all right? Really small. I just know some of you are pedants. Which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Ditto on my earlier comments. With such big branches that the birds can perch on in its shade. It's a, it is a metaphor from the Old Testament of, of a kingdom extending out and all these other kingdoms. So king of kings rules over all the kings. That's the idea. That's what the church is like today. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Expect this. That there will be this, this spreading national reality of faith. Expect that. That is a beautiful concept. And so whether we're thinking of the individual or the big picture, we ought to expect that the gospel will make a difference that the word of Jesus will make a difference. And that is a thrill. I remember being very disappointed when um, about 10, 15 years ago, I realized that the, there were more believers outside the West than in the West. What a ridiculously arrogant, silly thing to think. I had to repent of that when I realized it was in my heart. I, I like being the, the one where there was the most. That's a weird thing, isn't it? I, I now am kind of embarrassed about that and so thrilled that I've met so many believers from other places and that the church is growing strongly, not everywhere and not consistently, but in many, many places. And my last little encouragement to you is to have this um, expectation of change in people, a hopefulness for people and a hopefulness for our world because the gospel is expanding. One of the delights of my uh, work is to travel around the world and to mix with leaders of the different Bible colleges that we support. And the last trip I was just a few weeks ago, I was in East Africa, and I went to four different countries. And in each place, I was just so excited. It was one of the most exciting 11 days I've had in my life, I think, in ministry. And, and I was in Rwanda and South Sudan, in Kenya and Uganda, and looking at the, the Bible colleges. Now, these are little, little elements, little glimpses of what's there. But just to see faithful people doing stuff in the kingdom was amazing. And uh, to have a part in that was a great privilege. But, you know, the one little story I'll tell you, I was in South Sudan. South Sudan became a country, broke off from Sudan about 11 years ago, or eight or nine years ago. And, um, you know, naively, I didn't know much about the place. I thought, oh, good. So the Christian South has broken away from the Muslim North, which was dominating them. So that they can get on and be a little Christian country. It won't be great. No, no, no. They're all fighting each other. There are all these tribal differences and, you know, sort of Christian, sort of not. And so the place has been a mess of tribal fighting for the last several years. It's just slowed down the last couple of years. There was a big fight and it's just slowed down. And then to meet Christian leaders there who it is so unsafe at one level that they, they won't bring their families back till things have calmed down still, but they're back. And they're there trying to lead and grow things. And in this case, a university, uh, get a Christian university going. And uh, just to listen, you know, so I said to one of the guys, I said, um, why are you here? He said, because I want this for my country. I, wa I want, 
I want this Christian university for my country. Our country needs this. That's amazing. This guy could have, he was in the UK. He had this great job in the UK. He left it. Why? I want this for my country. It's just a beautiful picture of somebody who believes in the, what the gospel can do in a place. One little country, one little story. But it's like a mustard seed that grows up in a big tree and even the birds of the air can come and find shade and a good place. We ought to expect this. My one uh, practical tip to you is um, try and know about one country. Try and know about one thing, one place. Uh, you can't know about all the countries. Um, few people can have that much time and energy and effort or, or ministry. I, I get to travel lots of places, so I love that. But I, my encouragement to you is find one place and just know it really well. You know, look up online, read about it, look out for articles in the paper about it, and pray for that place. That's the point. Pray that the church there, whether it's big or small, uh, strong or weak, whatever it is, that that would grow, that that would grow, that this little mustard seed, that would grow in that country and become an internationally oriented person with your one country. If you're really keyed into a national stuff, pick five and ten countries. But, but one country, and just be a little mini-expert on and pray for that place. And be thrilled when you hear stories of it. Find some ministry, some mission that will actually work there and give to money, money to that. Be prayerful about that. And just know that that's part of your thrill of the Word of God working in this world. Expect personal and international growth in the kingdom. Those who have ears to hear, please hear.